Well, how are you, everybody? Welcome to another incredible edition of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. We have a very special program today. Uh, Mark Dunn can't be with us uh, in lieu of some real important business, uh, his son's baseball game, his last one of the season. So we're really uh, happy for him and his, and his boy. And uh, on the line with me today are three bigwigs at Microsoft. I like to call them bigwigs. Um, Eileen Crane, Thomas Lewis, and Jas Sandu. So let me introduce these guys, and, and I'll give you the big picture of what the show is going to be about, and then we'll take it away. Uh, first is Eileen Crane, who is um, .NET Marketing Manager at Microsoft and also runs the Regional Director Program. She has uh, five-plus years at Microsoft in a variety of marketing, business development, and communications roles. She began her software industry career at Ashton Tate with stints at Nintendo, McGraw-Hill, and the Campbell Soup Company. She has a BA from the University of Washington and lives outside Seattle today, not far from the Microsoft campus. And she has a 21-year-old son and a cat named Molly. Isn't that great? Thomas Lewis is a technical evangelist in the developer division at Microsoft. He's worked with early adopter customers of the .NET framework and Visual Studio .NET and is now evangelizing ASP.NET. He's also the author of a book, VB.com. And Jas Sandu is a program manager in the developer division at Microsoft, primarily working with developer evangelists worldwide. Previously, he was a developer evangelist working out of the Silicon Valley campus where he worked closely with the technical and developer community evangelizing Microsoft's technology and vision. Welcome. Thank you. Hello. Thank you, Carl. How are you? So um, the, three, the three musketeers, you guys are like the, 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 the Bermuda Triangle SWAT team of evangelism out there, aren't you? That's right. We can't go anywhere alone, and we must always be as a trio. And I guess we suck all sorts of things in. <laughs> <laughs> well, speak for yourself. I'm sorry. Uh, so who am I talking? I know, Eileen, you're the only woman, so you're easy to identify. Who was yeah. that that was talking before? That was Jazz. Okay. Jazz, how are you? Good. I'm going to start with you. So you, th you three uh, have different roles in the evangelism team. What is your role? So I work... Um, and managing the developer evangelist program uh, worldwide. So we have a bunch of people that sit in the district offices, um, probably in your local geography. So if you have a Microsoft office nearby, you probably have a bunch of developer evangelists working there. The other guys who go out and do your on-site events, such as MSDN events, and uh, work with you at uh, in user groups and all sorts of other community-type events. So... Okay, so like locally here on the East Coast, I guess our evangelist is Joe Stagner. Yeah. And uh, Russ Festino and Joe Green and all those guys. So so you're you're their boss kind of. Well, I'm not really their boss directly. I just manage what their roles kind of bubble up to here oh. at corporate. Oh, cool. Okay, uh Thomas, what's your uh what's your role in this uh incredible threesome here? So, I'm the technical evangelist. So I am responsible for what I like to call developer love, uh, spreading <laughs> love amongst all the developers out there and uh, showing them the greatness of uh, the .NET framework and Visual Studio .NET. So was it your idea to make the pens that light up? Whose idea was that? <laughs> no, Probably comment. Eileen. No, no comment. No yeah. comment. <laughs> you know, those are, those are great. Um, somebody once asked me, a company, they were doing some marketing to developers, 
and they sat me down in a conference room, a bunch of suits and stuff, and they said, so Carl, what do developers want? And I said, pens that light up. <laughs> you know? They don't want... <laughs> <laughs> they don't want, you know, fancy schmancy stuff. They want pins that light up. Or a free t-shirt. Yeah, it's a good right. thing they didn't ask us. We had a whole different answer for that. Well, what's your answer? Well, my answer would not be fit for the radio program. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Eileen, I guess the spotlight's on you. So Excellent. What? I have, Carl, the single best job at Microsoft. There's no doubt. I get to be a part of an evangelism team that works with customers and partners who are adopting our technologies early. So I get to work with really smart, really technical people who are excited about their job every day. And the fact of the matter is I'm not a technical person, so I can rely on them for all the technical knowledge, and I can just take their words and their ideas and craft them and get the message out to the world. Wow, very good. So you're not in all involved in what that message is. You take the message and understand it and spread the love basically. exactly spread the love now now you're in thomas's territory but <laughs> what, what i try to do is, is take a message and make sense of it for different uh, lots of different <clears throat> groups um sometimes a developer is just one part of the picture obviously and since a lot of the guys that are partners in our rd program are developers sometimes you want to shape that message a little bit for different audiences okay so we, we have an opportunity here um, to sort of peer inside the inner workings at, in, at Microsoft and, and see what goes on behind the scenes at the, uh, at, in the evangelism team. You got it. What do you want to know? Well, what can you tell me? I mean, it's, uh, I have no way. Where do I start? I mean, what do you, what do, you do in it? What's a typical day like for you? I think we should start with Thomas because he's got the corporate customer side, and uh, you know, I think that's kind of our big picture, and then we narrow it down to individuals. Okay. Does that sound good, Thomas? Sounds good to me. Good. Um, so if you're asking day to day, it's probably doing a whole bunch of email. <laughs> we live and breathe and die by email here at Microsoft. Yes, I can attest to that. And we work at night. We, our day job is email. At night we do the work, right? Yeah, the work actually gets done on our own. <laughs> Very good. But, uh, really Very the night. <laughs> <laughs> But really, um, what happens is that uh, we are always interested in engaging with customers, and that's part of the evangelism role that we have within the developer division. Um, so what we do is we t look at where the product's at. So are we, you know, at an alpha stage? Are we at a beta stage? Are we are we getting close to shipping? And based on where we're at is how we do our evangelism efforts. So early on in the product cycle, what we do is we go to uh, different uh, types of customers and uh, we solicit their feedback. So we have you know different types of reviews and we invite people to Redmond to look at the uh, new stuff that we're working on. And what's really important for us is to get that feedback from customers to tell us, are we doing the right thing? Are we giving you what you asked for? Is this which you thought that it was going to end up being. You mean in um, terms of the product or the message or what? In, in the product. Okay. So th this is kind of in the early uh, stages. Um, when we get closer to kind of a beta time frame, that's when we kind of, uh, our evangelism efforts get much bigger. So you probably were aware of like when we first put out the first beta for the framework in Visual Studio.net. 
Um, right. We were going after a much wider audience. And at that point, we had pretty much locked down the feature sets. We knew what they were going to be. Now what we wanted to do was to work with customers um, to put these uh, projects that they were working on, these applications that they were building, um, into production and and seeing you know how you know how did the .NET framework uh, you know handle you know large loads how did how did it actually work in the real world? So you provide a lot of feedback then to the development team. Very much so. Very huh. much so. Uh, we kind of pride ourselves as being the voice of the customer here at Microsoft. So I'm interested. What can you name drop a few customers that you worked with early on without getting in trouble or? Oh, sure. Okay. Um, so uh, Bear Stearns is one of the customers I work directly with. Okay. Um, Continental Airlines was actually one of our um, real early adopters. Um, I believe it was uh, TechEd uh, two years ago that we actually first talked about Continental Airlines um, building a mobile device application using the .NET framework. Wow. For internal stuff? Um, actually, for external. So what they huh. did was... a. Uh, they have a uh, mobile um, application that allows you to check the times of your flights. Um, you can look at the weather of the city that you're uh, traveling to. Um, you could check to see, okay, is my flight going to be delayed? Um, you could even check if you were part of their uh, reward program. Um, you could check how many points um, did you have. Is that a mobile web application or a client Side application. It was a mobile web application, so the cool. uh, MMIT um, at the time is what we were calling it. Um, they were actually using that. Wow! And what was even more interesting was on the backside, all of the functionality was built with uh, web services. Right. So they had built this web services infrastructure, and the beauty of it was that they had these mainframe applications. Um, you know, for checking flights and things like that, and they were able to expose it through web services, and now um, they have other applications that are reusing those web services. I'm sure. That's fantastic. What are some of the other big guys that you uh, worked with early on? Um, one of the real big ones that we work with is uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture. That's pretty big. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people kind of, when they think of USDA, they think of beef, right? Sure. <laughs> they think of the stamp on the beef to make sure that it's good. Um, and this is what I thought, too, when I first uh, met with them. But it turns out that there is a part of the USDA um, called the Natural Resource Conservation Folks. And huh. they had a very, very interesting application. And what it did was, if you are a farmer, you know, you may be watering your field and that water runoff may go into a river and then that river goes down and may, you know, be harmful to the wildlife in a pond, you know, further down the river. Um, so what happens is that the uh, USDA will come and uh, work with that farmer uh, to make sure that the practices that they're using um, are sound and they're good for the environment and that they make for a good ecosystem for that uh, farm. So the farmer has to plant the .NET framework in a row and then... Uh... <laughs> We're working on that. That's a, that'll be a new feature. No. <laughs> no. What, they, what they used it for was they wanted the ability to share the information on the work that they had done with that farmer. Great. So a field conservationist, a botanist, a politician in that area... Um, would have the ability to say, okay, in this particular area, what are farms that we are working with um, that we have we've done easements with, um, and, and let us be able to see that in a visual way. 
So what they did was they would go out to the Terra server, which uh, Microsoft uh, right, right. was working with. They would go to the Terra server, grab the image of the farm, and wow. then they would draw a polygon on top of that. And then they had metadata associated um, with that farm. So when was the last time someone from the USDA came out and visited them? How much uh, rain yeah. did they get for the year? And the beauty of it was, again, it was all built on web services. So Fantastic. to pull the Terra server information, they would use the Terra server web service. Um, to pull information about the polygons and the data, um, those were other web services that were being used. Let me just uh, jump jump in here. For those of you who don't know what the Terra server is, uh, it, it was a huge database of sat satellite photographs, right, of uh I don't know. I don't know what the range of it was. Was it over the entire world, or was it? Uh... It is probably. I, I believe the last time I looked, it was mo most of USA, um, most of the big, you know, cities, um, foreign. Okay. And, uh, it, but it's an air, actual aerial image. Aerial. Aerial. Oh, oh, not so. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Because I remember zooming in on my street and seeing it. Um, so the the the. That Terra server is still still up, right? Still up. Okay, exactly. we'll 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 give people a link to that. That's pretty cool. I think and it's, it's all... only for the U.S. right now. Okay, it's basically the USGS aerial imagery and topographic maps. Okay, well that's cool. So, um, uh, Thomas, before we get on get on here, let me ask you this: Have did you get any real substantial feedback from these customers that actually resulted in changes uh, to the framework that were made early on? Um, sure. Uh, I don't have any kind of specific here as a feature that uh, was a res result of that. Um, a lot of what the work that we do is to kind of give more of an aggregate view. So we have testers here at Microsoft that make sure, you know, the little pieces work. Um, what we try to do is we try to say, okay, let's look at an application in the aggregate and how does how does the framework handle that? So, for example, one of the interesting things with this uh, USDA project was the fact that they were calling these multiple web services, um, aggregating that information and then displaying it uh, within a browser. And so they they really got to show kind of a federated model of building an XML web services infrastructure. Wow, that's great. That's fantastic. Do you? How many testers do you have there in Redmond? In Redmond? Ooh, wow. Well, who knows? Hundreds, who knows? hundreds, thousands. Really? <laughs> it's a a big operation. <laughs> Very big operation. Yeah. I'm. Uh, it's always curious to me because you know a lot of us out here just using the products don't really have any idea of the size of Microsoft in terms of. You know, the sheer numbers of people that are writing code and testing it and, and doing all that. Um, is it true that I, I think I heard some numbers from Scott Guthrie that there was something like 300 plus developers that worked on what we call .NET that resulted in Visual Studio, right? Something like that? Certainly that could right be. Thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Could probably get you some numbers. You yeah. You could probably throw okay. them up there. Sure. Yeah, well, if we can get some numbers. It's always good good to throw around. All right, so uh so Jas. Yeah. Let me uh let's shift focus to you for a minute and uh give you the spotlight. What's a typical day like for you? So a typical day again, it's uh getting out of bed and checking email. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so a typical day is basically um, going out, coming out here, you know, to work, um, and trying to interface with a lot of groups. So I aggregate information from lots of places and try and get it out to the developer evangelists who are out there in the field. Uh, so I was a developer evangelist before, um, and um, what you used to do was go out there and try and hit the broad reach community, right? So it's going out, finding the pools of developer, and spreading the developer love. Right. You know, I think my manager used to say, uh, "Go, have you hugged a developer today?" <laughs> so, I've got to tell you that Microsoft does a really good job with their of treating their developers right, and you know, nothing beats the tools. You don't have. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but uh, yeah. it's true. Like I've seen. I've seen the tools that the other guys have, and ain't nothing as good. And I think that's our really strong, uh, our strong suite, right? Yeah, I always mean, has been. It's 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 going out there, making hard things simple, so that you can build harder things or more complex things on top of that. We were actually talking with Jorge uh, Oblitas yeah. uh, just a few days ago, and um, he was telling us that. You guys make it so simple that it becomes a problem sometimes. <laughs> and uh, in terms of you know making a web application by dragging and dropping and clicking buttons and stuff, you know what happens is a whole a whole group of developers grow up around that technology, and with not a lot of understanding of of what's going on underneath. And so at some point, at some point, developers don't have to learn that you know the plumbing stuff. VB programmers certainly didn't have to know anything about the Windows API to write an application. And, uh, you know, it just keeps getting easier and easier and easier, and all of that necessary knowledge is going away for better or for worse. So we had a nice little conversation about that. And I think it's making it simple for the end user to get something done. And computing is all about making what you want to happen, happen. Yeah, I agree. Right? And so... That's one audience that, you know, more complex things need to, the, the education of the user has gotten so mature. I mean, the web and everything, it's made them into much more complex users than we used to know. Ex yeah. So they're yeah. not just drivers of cars that, you know, just, you know, turn the key and just get there. Right. They want to get some things done, right? They do. They want to be able to tweak some things. So we're getting that, that complexity much simpler to the user now. And if you wanted to be a person who knew the plumbing, we don't want to hide it from you. Hey, if you look under the right. rug, there's a lot of stuff underneath there. Sure. And that's what, uh, you know, developer evangelism is all about, right? Exactly. Yeah. Showing you what the simple stuff is and then slowly revealing more and more. If you've ever gone to a Microsoft presentation or event, what you'll find is it starts out very simple. We do a lot of cool, quick things. Sometimes they're demos. And then we show you what what makes it all happen. Yeah, and right. I mean it really depends on the level of the event you go to, but most events are like that. I think it also has to do with the environment that exists out there today. Um, you don't have the eighteen month development cycles like you used to. Um, you're pretty much told, hey, you know, in three months we have to have this, you know, for the next uh, retail cycle. Um, and so a lot of people are saying, you know what? We don't want to have to handle, you know, all the nitty-gritty details. We want to be able to build the applications that our bosses are asking us to build um, and and be confident that, you know, those little things that they may not be aware of are taken care of. And I think that's where the framework does a really great job. Wow. Exactly. 
Great. And I think I want to add on that the whole web paradigm has made things uh, sort of just in time-ish or real time. Sure. Where you need to have improvements every day on or, or on a daily basis, um, you know. And we want to help help the developer concentrate on the task at hand, or as we say sometimes, the business logic, and right. concentrate on that rather than all the setup work, you know, that you need to do. I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's why I'm a VB developer. brings me to something um a good question you know i'm i'm constantly annoyed at the uh, perception that's out there by some people that you know visualbasic.net is a second class citizen because there's so much emphasis on c sharp and there's a lot of uh you know talk by the c sharp people about you know what are you wasting your time with vbnet for just learn c sharp and uh, and i know a lot of people who are moving over to it you know, for out of, you know, this sort of fear, I suppose you could say. So let's let's put that rumor to rest. So it's exactly that. It's it's definitely a rumor. Yeah. And, and this is coming from someone who, you know, who was a VB guy or is still a VB guy. Um, I think I think what people, there was a, a slight challenge from moving from Visual Basic to Visual Basic.net. Sure. In that... You know, a lot of people when they think of Visual Basic, they they think of the entire tool itself. Right. Um, so what happened was when they had to move to VB.net, um, they were kind of getting used to you know a new a new house so to speak. Um, and then there were a lot of tools that all of a sudden became very much available to them. Um, so right. I think there was a slight you know curve. Well, there uh, is a learning curve. Yeah, absolutely. There is. But I think that the value that people have today, if they, if they know VB today, the move to VB.net is very, very minimal. Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, you have this initial learning curve, but after that, things get much easier, and you can actually do a lot more a lot more functionality with fewer lines of code, uh, which is always good. Right. Yeah. Well, we had a customer that uh, was part of our early adopter program, and they kind of had bought into the, you know, oh, you know, going to VB.net is this huge, you know, task. 
Um, and then what we did was we actually sat down with them in our labs here in Redmond, and we said, okay, so, you know, let's take an application that you've built before. Um, and so, you know, they talked about the application, and we actually sketched out the architecture uh, for them. And what was kind of interesting was there was kind of this light bulb that went off, you know, and you could see it in their eyes, and they were like, wow, okay. Right. <laughs> so it's not that incredibly different. I, th I think really what else came from that was the fact that these were folks who were moving from a Windows-based uh, application to a web application. And so we showed them how you could, you know, bring up a web form and you could drag controls on it, double-click on a control, and write code uh, behind that control, and which was the same day thing they had been doing with Visual Basic 6. And so once they started getting into it, um, they realized, wow, that isn't a very big hurdle. And uh, many times they said, wow, now that we, you know, we understand VisualBasic.net, you know, we're just never going to go back. Yeah, that's the that's definitely the response that I get. Um, uh, it, it, yeah, what, can, what else can I say? I mean, preaching to the choir here, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think Visual Basic is the important part. Is Visual Basic is all about rapid application development. I know that's been a bad word in some circles that right. you know, it's never been realized. But truly, Visual Basic wants to make it very simple, very easy for you to get things done. And it's Sharp not, still has some verbosity in, inside it that yes. you know you've got to worry about case sensitivity. You got to worry about semicolons. Right, curly, squirrely braces, as Pat Hines <laughs> likes exactly. to call. Exactly. So you know, VB is going to make things a lot simpler. Yeah, that's very true. And and the important point is that no performance penalties, really. I mean, you know, I've seen some numbers, but uh, you know, a well-written VBNet application is not going to perform realistically any different than a than a well-written C-sharp application. You certainly can do things to slow it down if you really want to. But uh, that's also true in C-sharp. So. And in the end, it's all I.O. anyway, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> this is what I like to tell people. You know, here's, here's an interesting thing that I find is left over from, like, 90s mentality. The 90s mentality is, you know, the VB4 kind of... At that time, PCs were not quite fast enough to process VB4 applications as fast as VB3 applications, and people were saying, oh, my God, it's so slow and all this stuff. And so there's a real focus on, you know, making code efficient, as efficient as possible, so, so things happen quickly, and in speeding up things by not using string lookups and using enumerations and all these little tricks and tips and tricks. And now, when we have an area era of one gigahertz machines with 100 gig hard drives, you know, that are 99 bucks. I'm going to buy them at Walmart, you know. And uh, in this situation, there isn't, you know, there's there's less of a gap between... What the hell am I trying to say here? Help me out, guys. Uh, it's, uh, it's... You're on the right path. Yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that, you know, using a string versus an enumeration isn't going to make Form 2 show up any faster when you click the button. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. So we don't have to worry quite as much about those little things. Right. Let's focus on the big things like, uh, you know, sitting in a tight loop, the big stuff. Well, it's just any type of perf work you do. The first thing that you want to attack is that thing that is going to make, give you 80% uh, more performance improvement. Caching, um, for it, example. Exactly. So the thing that's going to eke out just one millisecond of uh, performance 
um, probably is not going to be worth the cost of the development time that it's going to take to do that. And I think that's kind of one of the things that people and developers are starting to realize that, you know, developers aren't just sitting in a cubicle anymore just doing their own thing and then, you know, after a great amount of time they come out with, you know, this magical application. That's right. Once they figured it out. <laughs> They're responsible for making sure that, you know, they, you know, deliver on time on budget and that, you know, with it, uh, not a lot of time is spent, you know, yeah. on you know, frivolous work. I, I so, I so can't, I, I have to applaud that sentiment. That's so true. And it's a slow lesson to learn and people are still, still learning that lesson. And I think you brought up a good point there, Thomas, because um, developers are going to have to work with other developers. And if it's simple and in the least amount of lines of code, other people can understand it much easier. If you have too much code there and it's too obtuse or complex, other folks won't be able to read it right. or manipulate it. Well, I don't know if that's always a bad thing if you want to show your eliteness, but for team-based programming and for developing very large applications, which is a reality today that you know not one person can build a whole application, um, it's really becoming critical. Takes a village, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, Eileen... Yeah. Let's talk about you for a minute. All right. Why'd you name your cat Molly? No, no, um, I'm just kidding. Okay. There doesn't seem to be a good solid answer there, so <laughs> moving right along. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's uh, uh, now one of one of the reason that I know you at all is because you're the director of the regional directors. Yes, <laughs> and you are one of the superior. Regional oh no, directors. no, we don't want to. We don't want to diss anybody now. We're Let's, not worthy. Let's just be clear. I tell them all that. Carl. Okay. Well, in that case, I accept. <laughs> Tell us about, I mean, we've spoken a little bit about the regional director plan, uh, program, but we haven't really spoken about when it started and why it's there. All right. So why don't you tell us that? Excellent. Would love to. Well, the regional director program has been a part of the developer division for about 10 years at Microsoft. And for Microsoft, that's a really long time for any program to stay yeah, around. Yeah, I'll say. And the developer division in particular really recognizes the need to reach out to developers and give them exactly what they need. And so we have a lot of full-time employees like Thomas and Jazz who have a group of people they work with to reach developers, individual customers. But Microsoft, as you know, has always been very much a partner company. And without our partners, like our regional directors and other influencer programs, we couldn't reach nearly the number and the type of audience we would need to. So about 10 years ago, the recognition was out there that, hey, we're doing some cool things here in Redmond. The developers all over the world would love to see more, know more, get exposed earlier. Let's get some people outside of Redmond who can do that. And what we realized is we really didn't have Microsoft employees who could do that, but we had a whole heck of a lot of great partners who knew as much as we did or more in many cases. Wow. So we started to pick selective part select partners in regions around the world, and today we have 125 in 50 countries. So it's an individual, not a company, who is an expert in perhaps an area of technology um, in maybe a specific uh, industry perhaps. But the bottom line is, and the theme that runs throughout the program, is all of the regional directors have the ability to articulate a message to developers, to really go out there and influence around the entire life cycle of a product, 
help with planning for organizations, and really um, the role I serve within this community and uh, for Microsoft overall is sort of one of a lurker. While some people in the group are about love, I'm really about lurking. And my, <laughs> my job is all about trying to find what partners like yourself need. So I spend a lot of time listening to these uh, product groups talking, figuring out when's the next SDR software development um, review, when is the next alpha starting, can I get this data to my partners so that they can get it out sooner to customers and other developers in the field, and I'm constantly trying to weigh, is it too soon? Is it confidential information? Can we give it out now? Do we want to give it out now? Is there a message we want our developers to receive, or is it something I can just toss out there to my regional directors and let them figure out, you know, play with it and figure out how they want to talk about it? So my job yeah. is really about grabbing that information, throwing it out to you guys, and quite honestly, you do things with it I never would have imagined. Hence the .NET Rock show. Right, right. right. <laughs> so... And some really good discussions on the list server. I mean, oh. if you can imagine being on a mailing list with some of these people, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's unbelievable. It is. We have um, one of the few programs at Microsoft today that still runs an actual list server versus a news group. So we have, um, for for the audience's benefit, I'll say that we have a 24/7 ongoing dialogue with 50 different countries of experts in technology. So all of our regional directors, they're online 24-7. There's no It's really true because they're all over the world. Yeah. yeah. And they are talking about things I've never heard about, things I may have started, things I try to stop, and uh, just exchanging <laughs> great information. And the beauty of the alias is we really don't let very many Microsoft people participate because we just let the partners throw things out, go back and forth, and then occasionally we'll have a Microsoft person jump in or occasionally a Microsoft person will have started a thread. But uh, it's just <laughs> a great exchange between partners around what's happening with our technology. It really is. And and I've found it particularly useful if it's, you know, uh, 3 in the morning and I'm working on a problem, <laughs> I can, bl you know, blast out a, something to the newsletter, uh, to the listserv, and I generally get a response from somebody probably in another country and it's not who's, just not a sleeping. response, right? It's an oh, yeah. accurate response. It's an accurate response. I tell you, I can't fire people from the program. You know that. They won't go. They say, <laughs> please, I want to stay on the list, sir. I know. It's yeah. true. It, it's amazing how rapid the information flows from that list. It's, 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 they get to know things that are much quicker than anybody else. I, I just think that the whole dynamic of it is amazing. Including Microsoft is. employees, we frequently hear that the RDs hear things before Microsoft employees, which often gets me in trouble, but that yeah. So, 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 is there a little uh, jealousy about the RD group with other groups? I've heard of some little things. Oh, uh, I don't know if I could say that, <laughs> Carl. What I would say is there is a keen recognition around the company that not only is this an elite group, but it's a group that gets very preferential treatment because it's deserved. Yeah. So how's that? Yeah, okay, that's very good. Yeah. That's good enough. I, yeah, good. okay, enough said. You get all the attention from Eileen. That's why we're jealous. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of good attention, well-deserved. And you've been highlighting, you, you've actually done a great job, i got to say. I gotta, yeah. You've done a great job of getting us the information that we need in a timely fashion and also promoting us. I mean, Absolutely. You've, you've done a, a few projects recently, including this regional director's website. Yeah, in which we've listed them all. 
Yeah, good stuff. Good we've stuff. Got, we've got code to download. Well, you tell me about it. Well, we've got recently what we decided to do is, you know, we always had kind of a quiet approach to this program as if it's somehow a secret that developers need a little bit of an extra attention and extra information. And then as I took on this role a little over a year ago, it seemed to me that we have something really exciting going here, so why not, instead of it being sort of a behind-the-scenes approach, why not tell the world that Microsoft has an elite group of people that we share information with that nobody else knows? And so, quite honestly, that's all you have to do is tell people that, and then they say, I need to talk to those people. Right, right. So we've done the obvious things, like the websites, but we also have something really great coming up, and I, by the time this uh, <laughs> airs, Obviously, it'll be um, past that, but uh, the tech ed in Dallas that's coming up, which right. is a really big show for Microsoft and developers and IT professionals in the community. But basically, the regional directors have more of a role than they've ever had in the past in terms of uh, being part of the Microsoft staffing at the booth, doing wow. sessions, running the labs, and just just a variety of different ways to reach out to the community and really just be an extension of Microsoft for us. That's really great. Yeah, good yeah. stuff. Excellent stuff. So how did you come to be the director of this program? I know uh, Jennifer Ritzinger was your predecessor. Yeah, and she's she... my boss. Oh, okay. Yeah, so she didn't go far. She's keeping an eye on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw she chimed in the other day. Yeah, there you go. Well, what um, happened is at Microsoft, you, you know, in a marketing role at Microsoft, you oftentimes take a lot of vertical positions. You move vertically because it's, a development company, okay? And this company is about people with technology skills. And in a lot of respect, those are the people who move up in the organizations. And as far as marketing goes, you really need to spread yourself across the organization, and that's how your career grows. And I had spent a lot of time doing messaging for different groups and different executives at Microsoft, but not spent as much time on core technology. So I decided... I need to find a way to be non-technical in a very technical group, and boy, did I get lucky. So this yeah. is exactly what I was looking for, and it's a it's a very rewarding place to be. Very cool. So how many how many districts are there across the United States? Districts are about twenty some jazz. Does that sound right? There's like twenty. I want to say twenty three or so. Yes, and um, they're broken down into the different regions. So we have like the four regions uh, and 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 a group that works across verticals. So you okay. would say there are like five major groupings, and of that, they have an average of about four to five, maybe six um, districts in there. Okay. And that's just the U.S., and then outside the U.S., we're divided into subsidiaries, and I really couldn't even answer how many subsidiaries we have. Do you guys know? I'm not sure. I know we have 660 freestanding Microsoft offices in the world. Wow. Right. Okay. <laughs> Across 50 countries. Yeah, exactly. That'll right. give you an idea. So one of the things they told me that I had to do as a regional director was occasionally give a keynote whenever there's a Dev Days event. What are Dev Days really all about? Are they are they only w happening when there's new products to be announced, or or who makes the decision when it's time to have a Dev Days? Wow. Who wants to take that one? I don't know, Eileen. I think I'm it's your ballgame. Yeah, I'm happy to tell you. <laughs> okay. And I don't know as much about the history of it, so if somebody wants to jump in on that, great. But I will tell you that for Microsoft, it it is not a yearly event. It's not like tech ed or even an industry right. event like Convex that you know is going to happen every year. For Microsoft, it is really about are we rolling out something that we want to teach 
developers about? Um, is there some new technology, some shift that we really need to spend some time educating more than just tossing it out there? So you're correct, Carl, when you talk about is it a yearly event and kind of cluing into the fact that it hasn't been lately, especially not in the U.S. And Microsoft's made a, a decision that if there isn't something that's really fundamental, that's a shift in something big that we're changing, we have a lot of industry events, and what we don't want to do is ask developers to come over and over again to different events and take time that out have of the, the same office. message. Yeah. yeah, so we've tried to really combine events as much as we can because that's the feedback we've gotten from developers, that they can't take that much time. That being oh, said, that's good. Yeah, dev days outside the U.S., though, you will find runs runs very different. You'll see it yearly in most places. In the U.S., though, it's a unique market, so you won't see it every year. And it's usually not a free event, of course, but it's not a lot of money. It's generally, in, in the U.S., it's been 100 something, even less, I think. I don't Cover know the costs. Yeah, it's yeah, it's been know. it's been affordable, and uh, I guess the idea is that you know you don't you want to you want to bring people in so that they can see what's coming down the road, as uh and it's one day it's a single day with some breakout sessions, typically you have like an architecture track and a developer track, but I guess it depends on what you're rolling out. Yeah, and the big thing I would focus on just for this audience today is the is more so than dev days because we did not have one in an organized way this year at right. in the US is PDC. That's, now that's that was my next question. Yeah. And especially yeah, especially what I want to know is what's the difference between tech ed and the PDC? Wow, that's a hard one. I'm I've not got sure the I know. answer to that. Go ahead, go for it. So so if you think about tech ed and PC PDC, tech ed is and again, there's probably a marketing person who will tell me that I'm doing <laughs> saying this all wrong. All right, we'll check I'll the facts. You, yeah. I'll give you my uh, opinion. So tech ed is about what's happening today. Yep. Um, it has a developer and an IT pro uh, focus to it. So when you're trying to design solutions or build applications today, um, tech ed is the event that you want to go to. PDC has always been a lot like Dev Days, where we don't have the PDC every year. Um, we have it when there is a um, major change, in, or not a change, but just kind of a major shift in what we're doing, or something where we feel like, wow, we can't just send out a press release and some bits out to the web and you know hope that everyone can grok that. Um, so what we do is the Professional Developers Conference is usually focused around um, those types of shifts. And really what it's for is for those developers who want to look, you know, further down the road. Um, so this year, for example, the PDC is going to begin talking about Longhorn. Big what, scoop, big scoop. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so... What we're, what people will do is when they go to the PDC, they're really trying to see, okay, Microsoft, what are you telling me that's going to be coming and how I can prepare for that? So what is, how do I write code today um, that will work tomorrow? So, um, what are the things that are coming that I need to begin thinking about? So the um, PDC is more future-minded and TechEd is more in the current day. Exactly. Uh, interesting. Well, it's all about the cutting edge and the next wave software. Hey, it's Carl here with a very special offer. 
for the summer months at franklins.net. We want to uh, fill up our classroom and offer a special. So for the July and August classes, we're offering a two-for-one special. That's right. Buy one seat, get one free. So for effectively half price, you can come and take a week-long master class in New London. And while you're here, you can enjoy all that New London has to offer in the summertime. Talking about going down to Ocean Beach, strolling the boardwalk, playing a little skee-ball, watching movies on the beach. Uh, We're talking about an antiques car show. We're talking about uh, Mystic, Connecticut, in all its glory with a Mystic Seaport climb aboard an old whaling ship. The Mystic Marine Life Aquarium. Uh, We're talking about the Nautilus uh, Nuclear Submarine Museum. There's lots and lots and lots of things to do here. Never mind all the fabulous restaurants that we're going to go to for lunch. And you can go to again for dinner uh, when you're here. Uh, Everybody who comes here to the Masterclass says they just had an incredible time and a great time on their own time uh, after the class and during the class, of course. So, hey, if you're interested, get on the web and go to www.franklins.net. And again, if you're a VB6 developer and you're looking to make the jump to .net in a very smart and effective way, there's no better way but this proven track record to success. The VB.net Masterclass. Check it out at www.franklins.net. Hey, now I'm going to bring up a nice little uh, topic to uh, Eileen and the crew, which is the branding of the .net moniker to only web services in the future. This is sure to be an interesting discussion. Let's check it out right here on .net Rocks. Don't you go away. Which brings me to another topic, and that is branding. We love oh, branding. no. Yeah, aren't we running out of time? Or Oh, <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so you guys are taking a little bit of heat recently, um, well, at least from the RDs, and we've had a lot of heated discussions and passionate discussions about what Microsoft is coming up uh, about to do with branding the .NET moniker. So what can you tell me about that? So I can take a stab at that. Okay. So um, with the .NET moniker, I think it's it's interesting because Windows Server used to be known as Windows.NET Server, and now it's only yes. Windows Server. Well, I think what we're trying, and this is this is more of my personal opinion, and you'll get, and this is also probably reinforced by a lot of our what what you're seeing today coming out in terms of you know websites, in terms of messaging, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that .NET is now being focused on building XML web services or just web services in general on the .NET framework on the Windows platform. But it's, so okay. it's a core component is actually all about web services. And that's it. a major ingredient on our vision that makes every um, software or every product that we have have this connectivity aspect of it or integration capability. So, for example, Windows Server carries the .NET connected logo that you've probably seen today, and that's where we're kind of the brand is now distilled to that logo program. Okay. So when and that logo program just doesn't um, doesn't associate itself with Microsoft only products. It can be associated with any products out there from any ISV or any you know anybody who's using XML web services built on the .NET framework. I see. Now that you just said the .NET framework, so is that exempt from the .NET moniker? I mean. It's the Microsoft.NET framework, I guess, because okay. it had the key ingredient there is the XML web services aspect. Okay, so the question that was raised, and, and 
we can talk about this, is that what if I'm building a Windows Forms, what I would call a .NET application today, that doesn't use uh, .NET, I, I'm sorry, that doesn't use web services, but maybe uses remoting, or or uh, you know just custom sockets transport of, for data, that is connected, obviously, but it isn't using a web service. Would I still call that a .NET application? Maybe I would call it a .NET framework application. I think what you'd want to use is that that it's a Windows application. Just a Windows application. That is using the Microsoft.NET framework. Yeah. Well, when somebody says, what is that? Is that a .NET app? Am I going to correct them and say, no, it's not a .NET app. I it's a Windows the, app. Yes, I think that we've used the word .NET to associate with everything related to XML web services and the Microsoft.NET framework, right? Right. So it immediately goes, .NET's a shorthand term for everything. Which has really worked well for developers because we need short, snappy monikers that we can use to identify things with that are highly technical. But then it confuses the hell out of IT pros and business decision makers sometimes. So can I ask permission on behalf of all the developers if, if we in the developer community could still call those apps .NET apps amongst ourselves? I, th I think we need a marketing person to answer <laughs> yes, this. You can ask permission, but we won't be able to grant it at this time. <laughs> what I would like to suggest, though, would be a follow-up phone call with someone who is an expert in this area who would love to debate these things back and forth and help you you know, and the developer community better understand what our thinking is. And at the same time, I think, get feedback from you and right. perhaps the listeners to say, you're not right, and here's why. Yeah. So I Actually, think it'd be a great follow-up. It would be, and we would like to have, is Ilya who you're talking Well, about? I would love to drag Ilya into I would love sure. to as well, yeah. Yeah. We, we'll get him on the show. We'll yeah, get, Ilya's a good one, and we could even get a couple of official brand people okay. on the line, which you'll get all sorts of official answers. I actually get it. I mean, I'm, I'm being a devil's advocate here because I want to just bring out the issue, but... But I actually get it. It took me a while, but uh, I understand that Microsoft is a business, and that if they don't sell product, then you know we're we're not. What are we doing here? I mean, you know, what am I doing here if if nobody's using Visual Studio .NET? So I understand that they need to sort of bring into sharper focus what they use that term with, um, and that developers are always sort of distilling the real technical information from the marketing information because the marketing information is more prevalent yeah. and it's and out there first and we're always left we're always the last ones to know right <laughs> what things I really are you were the first one to I know, know. <laughs> I, you know but what I'm saying I mean no, but I mean in terms of what you're saying the developers this time around with .NET were the first ones to truly understand well that's that. true and so very much what happened is the marketing message was a bit more confusing, and so the whole world didn't get it, but the developers were so liking it, right. understanding it, using it, and the problem is we didn't do as good a job with the marketing message for the rest of the world. We've right, and so the developers are sitting here saying, hey, we, we, we get it. We get it. Why it are you changing it? Yeah. Exactly, and the insider view on this is what we say internally is just that simple. Okay, you ready? All your um, listeners need to take notes now. Here's what we say internally. <laughs> When people ask, this is the, the Microsoft Confidential, what, what does .NET mean? Our answer is .NET means connected applications built on the .NET framework. 
.NET's not going away. The technology is core to our direction going forward, but we're being much more clear on what .NET is, connected with XML web services built on the .NET framework. That's and, our inside and, prog answer. and programs that are not built using web services but are still built on the .NET framework. Now, you added that. Okay, okay but what are those... What are those pro? We need a we need a little snappy thing to say what those programs are. I, I think you can just call them traditional Windows applications, so, right? But and uh, what I'd love to I would love to reinforce is the XML web services mm -hmm. is a critical part of our strategy moving forward. Yep. Yeah. And everybody should find a, a, a you know a way that they should integrate XML web services into what they're doing because it's going to let them reach out to so many things out there. So there's one thing, right? I mean, XML Web Services is this whole uncoupled strategy where it allows you to connect via XML, which is, you know, just an open standard, to to things that emit XML, and you can consume it, and you can in, in turn generate it. Well, this is going to open up your world to so many other, you know, applications out there, services out there, websites. That's true. Even other platforms. It's true, and I get it. One of the problems we have is that uh, web services are based on standards that evolve at a lot slower pace than, than say, remoting does. And so I can get a higher performing application if I'm going from a Windows front end to a Windows back end using remoting and take advantage of the, you know, the innovation that Microsoft has put into that because it's proprietary. And, and in a lot of cases, you, will, you may need that performance. But right. I always ask the question for a lot of my developers is, do you want the performance, or do you want the ubiquity? Right. Well, that's a good question. And 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 you know, to take the other side here, the other thing is is that we have to look down the road. You have to look down the road to that. This is web services version A, right? Exactly. And the new new things are being added to support diffgrams and data sets, for example, to support you know, compression and to support encryption and security. And all these things are going into the spec. They're just happening at a slow and steady pace. So you, exactly. have, so you have to be patient, I suppose. Um, I think Thomas might show some great traditional uh, cases on where XML web services have brought whirlwinds of improvement or, or productivity to some companies. Oh, absolutely. Thomas. Yeah, um, so we've, we've worked with quite a few people and one of the, one of the interesting things that I've found is that typically if you look back about two years ago, um, someone would always talk about their, um, their middleware being, you know, COM plus components. Um, so someone would say, hey, we want to build some code that, uh, gets information on customers out of a database. And so the implementation of that was always, you know, oh, well, let's, you know, let's build a component and uh, put it, you know, in the uh, com, in com plus. Now what I'm, what I see and what, what we've seen in a lot of early adopters is this kind of thinking of this, you know, service oriented uh, type applications where instead of com components living in this com plus runtime, um, they're building these web services and they're exposing them throughout the organization. So, for example, Bear Stearns. Um, Bear Stearns had a uh, stock uh, trading application, um, and what it did was it actually resided on an AS400. 
And what would happen is if someone needed to get to that information, um, they would have to know how the AS400 works. They would have to know the proprietary API um, to, you know, make those calls and, uh, you know, what format they needed to be in. And one of the things that they did was they said, well, you know, we want our developers to be productive. We want them building, you know, great, you know, client solutions um, instead of trying to figure out how to talk to the AS400. And so what they did was they actually built a, you know, set of web services um, that front-ended that information. And now what happened was that anyone within the organization with web services could get access to that information. And this was, you know, regardless of the operating system, um, the language that they used. Um, and what happened was that instead of saying, hey, you have to play in my technology sandbox, um, everyone could kind of play together. And one of the things that I've loved about web services, and I'm seeing this more and more, um, a while back um, I went to visit a customer and I met with the manager and he said, yeah, he said, you know, one of the problems that we have is that, you know, we've got these, you know, Java developers over on this side and these Microsoft people, you know, on the other side. And I said, oh, you, you know, you're, 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 it's, you know, figuratively, right? And he said, no, actually, if you look out this hall on the left side, we have Java developers and on the right side, we have <laughs> the Microsoft developers. And they don't talk to each other very and They much. don't talk to each other. So this was all about developer love, like I said. And I said, you know what? I'm going to get them to love each other. <laughs> so what we talked about was <laughs> web services as that mechanism by which... You're a very optimistic person, aren't you, Thomas? I'm a very optimistic person. And that's what you have to be when you're an evangelist. That's true. But what we did was we showed them how working with web services, um, that each other could consume the work that was being done by the other, and that if they wanted to build clients um, using their particular technology, they could, or if they wanted to build uh, server-type applications and expose that to a variety of clients... Um, that they could do that. And and it was amazing because this manager t told me, he said, you know what? He said, you're the first person who has walked in and told me um, that I'm not going to have to rip and replace the things that we've already done. Right. And it really it really made a lot of sense to them. And, and they ended up uh, being able to use web services to kind of, uh, you know, group everybody together and have them working together. That's a really great story, Thomas. I mean, so often... You don't think about the, you know, the, the human capital in your organization and what it means to them to be constantly moving and learning new things and, and having to, you know, shift gears. One of the, obviously, Microsoft is now all about integration and it's about integration with web services, but also it's about developer integration. And, you know, now C, C programmers and VB programmers, they can have lunch together. Exactly. They can hang out and socialize. They can even attend the same meetings and understand the same software. And, you know, if a VB programmer wants to know how to do something, they can go to a C-sharp programmer and get the answer because they're working with the same tools in the same environment on the same framework. And one so. of the things that I think is real important just for the industry as a whole is to get away from this concept of my technology is better than your technology. And kind of all the infighting that comes with it. Uh, you know, I, I read the news groups and I see, you know, this language versus that language, that platform versus that platform. And I think really what we need to do is we just all kind of need to come together and say, you know what, 
you know, we have the ability to work together. So let's think about how we can create solutions um, via things like patterns and such. Um, and then, you know, let's let's kind of get rid of the skirmishes um, because, like I said, what happens is sometimes that bubbles up to the management, and the management doesn't care what language you use. They don't care what, you know, technology you use. Well. They just want to know that you're going to build the solution that's going to work and that's going to have a good ROI. Unfortunately, there's a lot of managers that are anti-Microsoft zealots that uh, don't want to hear anything about, you know, having to be married to Microsoft, if you will. And and unfortunately, they just don't get it with .NET. I think that's true, and and I think it more and more as we you know evangelize the technology, and and as our partners and our users are evangelizing the technology, I think that people will begin to understand that more and more because we are seeing it where we're talking with customers who you know they usually look and see oh you've got a Microsoft badge I'm tossing you right out the front door, um, and right. we're starting to see now where. They understand that, hey, you know, Microsoft's not going to come in here and say, get rid of all these systems. Um, we understand that most of the enterprise customers you walk into today have these very, you know, heterogeneous systems. You That's know, right. all kinds of AS400. They've been uh, there since day one and they're not going away. Yeah, they're not yeah. going away. And Microsoft has, you know, it, you know, make sure that when we go in that we say, listen, we don't want to make you replace the hardware infrastructure. Um, we don't want to replace any of the training that's been done. Um, that was why it was so important for us to create, create this multi-language framework because we did want to come in and say, you know what, if you want to use the framework, here's the language you're going to have to know. What How we wanted to do is say, listen, if you are a VB developer, if you're a C++ developer, if you're a COBOL developer, we want to help you. Well, listen, uh, our time's almost up. Uh, is there any, any last-minute words of advice or wisdom or, or call to, calls to action that you, uh, any of you want to uh, impart on our listeners? I would say the uh, call to action for the developers listening today is uh, we're definitely interested in your feedback. We're always interested in hearing what you're doing and how our solutions are working for you or not. And uh, there will be lots of links on the site with the show that will show you how to get in touch with us, including a direct alias that we'd love to hear from you if you have feedback on some of the things you heard today. And we hope to see all of you at PDC in um, October in Los Angeles. All right. Well, I'll be there. Cool. Eileen, Thomas, and Jass, thank you very much for joining us today. And on behalf of the listeners and myself and Mark, who's out there tossing a baseball right now, yeah. uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank All right. you. Rock on now. Good night. Summer.